pray we'll see how true that is by the end of this time as we move towards communion. There was this woman who, and she began her prayer by saying, Dear Lord, I think you would be proud of me. So far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lusted, lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I am very thankful for that. However, in a few minutes, I am going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. My guess is we've all prayed some prayer like that, and we can probably identify with that. And as we continue this morning in our study of Ephesians, we're going to see just how desperately we all need grace, and we all do. And so I've entitled the message this morning, From Death to Life, From Death to Life. Father, I thank you so much for all that's transpired up to this point. I thank you for the worship time. I thank you for the dedication, really, of parents to you to bring up their child to follow Christ. And now I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come even in a greater measure than you've already been here, that you would manifest yourself, that you would exalt Jesus, that you would make him so real in these next several minutes. I ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. And I pray, I pray that many many might pass from death to life, even this morning. And so I give you the rest of this time. Have your way now, I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Skip, can you play the video? Infection is greater than we ever imagined. spreading the whole time right in front of us. We just never allowed ourselves to admit it. It was growing all around. In our schools, our government, our homes. Killing everyone. Whatever these murderers think, they'll achieve by killing innocent Americans. They have already failed. If you're watching this, maybe it's not too late for you. Maybe there's still time to fight this infection. Maybe there's still hope. Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 1. If you have your owner's manual, you can pull it out now. Or you can see it up on the big screen. Once you too were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. The Apostle Paul starts right out of the chute and he says at one time every single one of us was dead. So I guess it's true. Dead men do walk. Now when the Apostle Paul is talking about being dead, he's not talking physically. He's talking spiritually. At one time every single person in here, every single person out there was cut off from God. And you see, to be cut off from God is to be dead because God is the source of life. So when you are cut off from him, you are truly and really dead. The obvious question is why at one time were every single one of us dead? And the Apostle Paul answers that in verse 1. He says, because of our sins. 
because of our disobedience. Paul uses that three-letter word, sin. Now, our culture does not like that word sin too much. Negative, too negative, too harsh. We, we say, it will wound my fragile self-esteem. We tend to like to say things like, you know, I made a mistake. Or I have a disease. Or I have a weakness. Or I have these challenges in my life. You see, we attempt to throw whitewash on that word sin. But that's exactly the word that Paul uses here. He says that we have sinned. You know what that means? It means that we have missed the mark. We have stepped over the line of God's moral law. And no amount of whitewash, by the way, is going to erase that guilt. No amount of whitewash will erase that guilt. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it that every single person sins? Have you ever noticed that 10 out of 10 people sin? It's not 9 out of 10. It's not 8 out of 10. It's not 7 out of 10. It's like, like the video just showed. I mean, it's almost like an epidemic. Everybody is just sinning. Why do we all sin? I mean, why do we lie? Why do I fudge on my taxes? Why am I greedy? Why do I seek to have more than I need? Have you ever gone into anybody's house? They have all this stuff. They don't even know what to do with all the stuff. Why am I envious of someone else's success? Why do I hate certain people? Why do I find myself just being selfish so much of the time? Why is my favorite note me? Me, 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 me. I mean, we all hit that note so consistently. It's not Doe, it's not Ray, it's just me. (laughs) And the Apostle Paul answers that question, by the way, in verses 2 and 3. Skip, can you put up those verses? You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Why do I sin? Why do you sin? Well, I used to have a professor that used to say, gentlemen, what do you expect sinners to do? They sin. And see, we sin because we have a sin nature. We have a selfish nature part. Paul says, we all have a dark nature. In fact, Paul goes to say that really our spiritual father, every single one of us when we come into this world, is Satan. He is our mentor. And you might say the old adage is true. The apple does not fall far from the tree. You know, some years ago, I read you an excerpt from the Minnesota Crime Commission. Remember, the Minnesota Crime Commission is a secular agency. It's not a bunch of Bible thumpers. And they put their finger. Now, we might be interested in this. They put their finger on why we experience so much crime. Here's in part what they said. Listen, this is the Minnesota Crime Commission. Every baby starts life out like a little savage. He is completely selfish. Now, remember, this is this Minnesota Crime Commission. This isn't a preacher. Every 
baby is completely self, selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch or whatever. Deny him these and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He is dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but your children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each one, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. End of quote from the Minnesota Crime Commission. Now we turn to Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 7, red letters, big red letters, warning light in your Bible. And Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7. And then Jesus said, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Now we are all sufficiently encouraged, aren't we? And we're glad we came this morning. But seriously, what Jesus is saying, what the Minnesota Crime Commission is saying is that we are bad to the bone. We come out of the womb and we are bad to the bone. Now, of course, you know, this rubs and really chafes many of us. We don't like this. You know, it was interesting. Several years ago, there was a poll taken of the American public. The poll centered on one question. Do you think that when you die, you will go to heaven? 86% of Americans, get this now, 86% of Americans said that they either will be going to heaven or they think they have an awfully good chance of going to heaven. Now, here's the funny part. When these same people were asked about their neighbor, whether they thought their neighbor was going to be going to heaven, get this now, they said said 69% were not only not going to heaven, they were probably going to hell. How do you like them apples? I mean, isn't that amazing? My point here is this, is that we all tend to see ourselves as pretty good, right? But you know what? People outside of us kind of see us differently. You know, they kind of see our warts. We don't see our warts, but they see our warts. They, 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 they kind of see the mud all over us. We, my point is we tend to overrate ourselves. We are legends in our own mind. Now watch what, now here's, here's my point. Now watch this though. Watch what Paul says about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He says this, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone needs to accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I, Paul, am the worst sinner of all. Hyperbole? I think not. I have a flashlight here. Now, if we could get this pitch black in here, and I know we can't get it pitch black, and I were to shine the light. I love that. Find it right in your light. Oh, we're getting... Skip's awesome, isn't he? You've got to give him applause for that. <laughs> see, now, there's Rebay way in the back, and see, even he looks good in the back. See, you can't see all the dirt on that guy. His face has got dirt on it. He's got some pimples, I think, you know, and his, and, and, and I mean, his, his, his shirt, I mean, just his shirt has got old ketchup stains on, but he looks pretty good back there, doesn't he? 
Now imagine that Steve came up here and he was right against this light. All of a sudden, Steve wouldn't look so good anymore, would he? See, we could see all the flaws on him. And he's got a lot of them. I mean, he's got lint on his shirt. He's got old ketchup stains, old mustard stains. I mean, if you were to come up here, you would, in, in the light, Steve would look really, really bad. You could put the light on, Skip. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is a huge moral floodlight? Huge. How do you think you would fare standing right next to him? You see, most of us are like Steve. The vast majority of the world's like, see, they want to be out there somewhere in the darkness where they can't be seen. And see, out there in the darkness, you know how we compare ourselves then? We don't compare ourselves against the floodlight of Jesus' morality, his perfect moral perfection. No, we compare ourselves to maybe like a Matt Molossi or someone else out there. We say, wow, we're a lot better than they are, right? We're a lot, lot better. I mean, it's easy to be better than Steve Rebay. But how about, how would you feel being right next to Jesus Christ, the moral spotlight? The apostle Peter cried out, get away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. You see, the reality is, most of us like the darkness. Most of humanity likes the darkness. It's safe out there. In fact, listen to what John said, the apostle John said in John chapter 3. In verse 19, he said this, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, Jesus Christ, but the people loved darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Why did Paul see his sin so clearly? I'll tell you why. Because he was right up against Jesus. He was right up against Jesus. He wasn't giving you hyperbole. He wasn't giving me hyperbole. You know, when you stand next to Jesus, I guarantee you Paul didn't have a lot of outward sins. But the reason why Paul saw a sin so clearly is the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see your heart, the more you see your selfishness, the more you see your darkness, the more you see the evil thoughts that you have, you still see that old nature and you're abhorred by it. And you know what happens when someone's so close to Jesus? They're humble. I can see, they don't go, hey, you know, uh, they don't tell you how wonderful they are spiritually. They tell you how humble they are. You see the humility. They don't act like they're anything because they recognize that the real standard is Jesus. The real standard is Jesus. You know, Christmas is coming up. And you know what the greatest gift would be to every single one of us? You know what it would be? A reality check. Jesus gives us that reality check, by the way. Final night on planet Earth, he said this to the disciples who were grieving. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Look with me at this. He says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. That is the Father. Not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Why? Because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, won't come. Now watch this. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, what will he do? He will tell you how to be happy and how to make a lot of money. No, he says he'll convict the world of sin. Do you know how you know you're in a spirit-filled service? I love it. Now, if we had more time, but we don't have more time, so I'm not going to wax eloquently here. 
But let me tell you, you know how you're in a spirit-filled service? The spirit of God begins to move. And he begins to reveal the darkness in each one of us. And we begin to see what we really are. And it's a beautiful day because it gets you on your knees and you cry out. And you begin a revival service. And you don't point at your partner anymore and say, wow, look at all the problems they got. See, when the spirit of God begins to move, it says, wow, look at all the problems Frank's got. And watch this. Watch what he does. The spirit's great. Now watch this. And then it says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness. See, the standard isn't Steve Rebay. The standard isn't Frank Ray. The standard is Jesus Christ. And he's going to reveal the fact of, of not only our lack in our hearts, but of true righteousness. That's the standard. And then of the judgment to come. You know? You may look out in the world and you say, I don't understand ISIS. Why are they getting away with it? I want you to know in the end, no one gets away with anything. No one in the end gets away with anything. Now, if you've grasped this, now hold on because hold on to your chairs because now you're in for the good part. If you grasp this, then now I'm going to give you some really good news. Skip, flip it up. Here we go. Watch this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Put up the rest of it, Skip. And there it is. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it, though. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. Did you know that you truly are a piece of work? He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Oh, I love that word, grace. I love that word, grace. Amazing grace. You know why I love that? Because it means I'm getting something good that I don't deserve. And you know what I don't deserve? is forgiveness. I actually deserve and you deserve the judgment of God, the rejection of God. But Paul said that God gives us grace. You know what grace looks like? Skip, can you put up the picture? I want you to see a picture of grace. I don't know if he gets it up there. That's grace. That's grace personified. Every one of those wounds, every one of those wounds was for you. It was for me. There is grace personified. He said, if I reach out, that's what Paul says, I will experience the incredible grace of God, the goodness of God, the forgiveness of sin. You know, not everybody, though, will receive grace because of pride. It was many years ago, the Rays were on vacation. We were in the promised land, Minnesota. We were up north, and we were on a lake at a cabin many, many years ago. And my my parents were there, and I remember they came knocking on our cabin door. And so my parents came walking in. They sat down. My sister was there. She sat down. And I was there. And we were just waiting for Susan. I don't know what Susan was doing. But she came out, 
And at the time, our middle daughter, Christy, she was just two years old. And, 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 and she was our strong-willed child. And everyone needs a parent. Everyone needs a strong-willed child. It's God's payback to us. Well, Christy was our strong-willed child. Two years old, small head, all teeth. And Susan comes out and she sees a bunch of toys on the floor. And she says, Christy, I want you to pick up your toys. And little Christy, two years old, all teeth, says, no, I don't want to. Now, that was a pregnant moment. The room goes silent. My parents are watching Susan. My sister's watching Susan. I'm watching Susan. She's a pastor's wife. What is she going to do? Is she going to whack the heck out of the kid? Or is she going to be Miss Passive, you know, and, and, and just let the kid get away with murder? But the Holy Spirit was with Susan that day. And Susan gave a good theological answer. You know what she said? She said, Christy, I'm going to give you grace. And I'm going to ask you one more time to go pick up your toys. So go pick up your toys. And the room is silent. I mean, and, and you can see the wheels turning in that little head. And it seemed like an eternity. And suddenly Christy looked at Susan and she said, I don't want your grace. And I got up out of my chair. And I said, that's very fine. Because I said, now you're going to get the law. (laughs) No! (laughs) Bam! Bam! And she got the law. You see, she had the choice. She could have chosen, chose life, grace, but she chose death judgment and so many of us so many people because of pride i don't know what it is can't reach out and you know what a person's like you always know a person who's not under grace but under the law under judgment because they generally are unhappy right they're generally not very nice they generally are angry and bitter and unforgiving they're really not a lot of fun to be around. I call them drainers. They're just not a lot of fun to be around. But you know what's sad? I've, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, you don't understand about my life. I'm in hell right now. And I said, well, you don't understand. No, you're not. You're only in hell because you choose to be in hell and not live in grace. But you don't know what hell is. You're going to experience ultimate judgment. And there's no hope after that. So my challenge this morning as we move to communion is choose Grace, his name is Jesus. And if you choose to revel in Jesus Christ, you receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You begin to have grace released in you all of the time. The more you die, the more the Spirit is released and you move in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And guess what? You become a minister of life. People want to be around you instead of speaking and ministering death. Now you minister grace and you minister life. Skip as we move towards communion. Play this song. Let it speak to your heart.